So Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. And he looked and saw a well in the field. Behold, there were three flocks of sheep lying by it, for out of that well they watered the flock. A large stone was on the well's mouth, and now all the flocks would be gathered there. And they would roll the stone from the well's mouth, water the sheep, and put the stone back in its place on the well's mouth. And Jacob said to them, My brethren, where are you from? And they said, We are from Haran. Then he said to them, Do you know Laban the son of Nahor? And they said, We know him. And so Jacob said to them, Is he well? And they said, He is well. And look, his daughter Rachel is coming with the sheep. And then he said, Look, it is still high day. It is not time for the cattle to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go and feed them. But they said, We cannot until all the flocks are gathered together, that they have rolled the stone from the well's mouth. Then we water the sheep, or literally give them the water. Now while he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. And it came to pass when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, that Jacob went near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and lifted up his voice and wept. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's relative and that he was Rebekah's son. So she ran and told her father. Then it came to pass when Laban heard the report about Jacob, his sister's son, that he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. So he told Laban all these things. And Laban said to him, surely you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him for a month. Let's stop here for a minute. So this is our introduction. Verse 1 told us that Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. That's a big change. Just that phrase, he, he's on a journey, and it's a journey to the unknown, and he's going to the people of the east, and he's going to the house of his mother. We have no reason to believe that when Rebekah agreed by faith to go with Eliezer, Abraham's servant, to go marry Isaac, that she ever went back, or that Laban ever visited her brother. And now here comes this nephew of Laban, to his region. It's been decades. So you can imagine the excitement there for the house of Laban to have that relative and that, that long lost relative that you get to see and the joy that's there. That's in the context of this story for sure. And you can imagine how happy Jacob is to see Rachel because she is a relative. He's supposed to receive his wife from within that family line, if you will. And we know that she's beautiful and attractive. And he weeps, his, he's found where he's going, he's arrived, he's come to his place. If you've ever moved far away, and if you've ever had a, a big change, like when you go away to college and it's a far away college, or you get married and you go far away, or God calls you to a far away land, there is the journey aspect where the whole way you're going like, man, where's this going to lead us and what's this all about? How long am I going to be there? How's this going to play out? When we drove 3,000 miles across country to go to Virginia to start the Calvary Chapel in 1991, driving across the country on the 40, we picked up the 40 right there in Barstow, like many people do, and we took the 40 all the way to Raleigh-Durham area, caught the 95 to go north into Virginia, across the state line in the wintertime. I can just totally picture it. And then that highway, I think it's Highway 17, that comes in from the bottom half of Virginia up through Suffolk into the Virginia Beach area. And it was such a journey of the unknown. We had Hannah, who wasn't even a year old. We had Stitches, our dog, all of our stuff in the car. It was just, it was that journey to the East Coast. We spent five and a half years there. Some of you had those kind of journeys. I mean, you don't really know how long it might be. I don't think Jacob knows how long his journey is going to be, but he continued his journey 
affirmed that God was with him through the dream, with the altar he built to the Lord, made a vow to the Lord, and he arrives at his destination with confirmation from the Lord, this is where you're supposed to be, and this is what's going to happen. And you'll notice he got a month to acclimate. Having just been in Russia and spent time with the Markey family to hear their story and how they ended up from meeting in college at a Christian college in Kentucky, Dave and Deborah, both basketball players. And then Dave transferring to Moorhead State and them staying together and how it all happened and how he was raised as son of a missionary in Ukraine, but the dad originally and the mom were from Indiana, the Markeys. And just this whole journey... And I can't even tell their story of how they ended up in Siberia, in Salakar, doing what they do. But it's an amazing story. It's almost unbelievable, like, the certain things that had to happen to be in Russia, to be doing what they're doing in Russia, and have an extended time period in Russia. This amazing country that can't just show up there. You can't just get off the plane with your U.S. passport, or your British passport, or your Australian passport. You cannot just show up in Moscow and think you're walking through immigration like that's what you do in a lot of places of the world with those three passports. It's a different world. And all the things that worked out for them to do it. And for me to be there and be in their house and see the house that they built. He, they, they built a house in freezing temperatures by YouTubing how to build a house. It helps to be really smart, too, if you're going to do stuff like that. And the Markies are very bright. And Dave Markey's very smart. And Deborah's amazing. But you get where you're going. Now, Jacob was traveling solo, which would make it a little more scarier, like when you go away to college. Like, you say goodbye to mom and dad, but you, you kind of want them gone. Now, if you went to college local like our Hannah did, it's not the same. Like, when you live at home and go to Vanguard, and you live in Costa Mesa and go to Vanguard, it's not the same. I'm not taking anything away from that. It's just not the same. But when you're Timmy, you go to Cal State Maritime, and you're getting dropped off at a dorm, and then your parents drive home, it takes them seven hours, that's a little bit farther. And you wake up, and you wear a uniform, you have to line up at seven in the morning. It's a whole new adventure. Four years. God is in these journeys, and God is in these new beginnings. Who knows what new beginnings you might have in 2020? Who knows what new beginnings I might have in 2020, or the church, for that matter? We never know what the future is going to bring for us with new journeys and things of that nature, new chapters, new seasons. You just never know. Sometimes the whole planet's on a journey together collectively, like World War I and World War II, something like that. Sometimes the whole continent's on a journey together, like when Bonaparte wanted to conquer Europe. Sometimes your family's on a journey because it's a whole new beginning. Sometimes you're on a journey because it's something God has just for you. But I like the fact that the Lord met him on the way and said, I'll be with you in all this unknown. See, the God of Jacob is the same at Bethel as he is there at the house of Laban. He hasn't left Jacob. He said, I'll be with you in the way. He promised him that last week when we read this text. So there you are at Uncle Laban's house. You're all kind of hanging out for a month. You had the conversations about like, well, how's the sheep doing? How's the cattle? Any other wells? Well, so you got a nice little gig going here. Can I stay for a while? Like, how about 20 years? That one month to acclimate, and now there's a whole new life for Jacob. It's a whole new life. I think we can relate to that. I think many of us can relate to that as we go forward in our lives in 2020. It's a whole new life. I like that. I'm up for the adventure. Now we read on. After a month, verse 15, then Laban said to Jacob, because you are my relative, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what should your wages be? 
Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were delicate, but Rachel was beautiful of form and appearance. Now Jacob loved Rachel, so he said, I will serve you seven years for Rachel, your younger daughter. And Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than I should give her to another man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed only a few days to him because of the love he had for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife, for my days are fulfilled that I may go into her intimately and implied. And Laban gathered together all the men of the place and made a feast. Now it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah's daughter and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. And Laban gave his maid Zilpah to his daughter Leah as a maid. So it came to pass in the morning, and behold, it was Leah. And he said to Laban, what is this you've done to me? Was it not for Rachel that I served you? Why then have you deceived me? And Laban said, it is not to be done so in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Fulfill her week, and we will give you this one also for the service which you will serve me still another seven years. Then Jacob did so and fulfilled his, her week. So he gave him his daughter Rachel as wife also, and Laban gave his maid Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as a maid. Then Jacob also went into Rachel, and he also loved Rachel more than Leah, and he served with Laban still another seven years. Seven years, the bait and switch with Leah, seven years for Rachel, and seven more years. So 21 years, that's a, that's a long time. If you're just thinking about your lifetime, the Bible tells us the days of man are 70 by measure of strength 80, Moses' psalm. Psalm 90, which is very accurate. 20 years is a long time. It, and in this case, when we talked about Jacob would live 140-something years, the, year, the years of life, his lifespan are decreasing because of the post-flood world and the molecular structure and atmospheric changes and stuff like that. So he's halfway through his life. He's essentially the equivalent of like being 40 right now for us or something similar. And He's waited this long. His brother married this Canaanite woman, that Canaanite woman, and then he went and married these Ishmaelite women. So he's all down the road with women and kids and all that stuff. And Jacob's like, well, you know, we're not in a hurry, you know, we're not in a hurry here. And it is interesting when Laban says, what, what do you want? And he's like, hey, I'll work seven years to have her as my wife, the younger daughter, Rachel. And Laban says, great, let's do this. And then he gets the bait and switch, and then we see the response. A couple things here of application that are worth considering. First of all, it gets my attention, verse 20. Well, verse 18 says, Jacob loved Rachel. He loved her. He, he, was, he loved to be with her. She was attractive to him. He liked to be with her. He wanted to be with her. And their attraction and their relationship without sexual intimacy would have been very fulfilling. It would have just been there like just this incredible emotional, mental connection. And I would say probably a spiritual connection as well, but not physical. And we're told Laban let him name his price and, and he said for seven years. That's putting high value on her, by the way. Seven years engagement, like we'd scoff at that now, but that's like, it does get your attention. It's different, but it's worth noting. He said seven years. I think when you learn to wait on the Lord, you learn to wait on the Lord. Jacob had waited this long. He's not in a big hurry. He's like, yeah, this seems right. He named the price. Seven years work to receive your daughter's hand in marriage. And look what it says in verse 20. 
And they, the seven years for Rachel seemed only a few days to him because of the love he had for her. This comes from the Holy Spirit. This is a commentary from God about this relationship. Seven years seem like days, not years, because of the love he had. Years ago, about a decade ago, I read a random book on careers. I just read different books sometimes just because I don't know why, but I do. And it talked about finding the right fit in a career and what you look for. It's kind of like a corporate book, like the book you buy at John Wayne Airport or something, you know, in the store there where you're waiting to catch a plane because I think that's where I bought it. And it talked about what you really want to do in your career. This is worldly. This isn't biblical, but there's something here that's going to connect to this text. It said, ultimately, what you want to do with a career is move towards your passions and your strengths and keep developing on them and build equity with who you are and that you can fulfill your strengths to the fullest capacity in your life, essentially. Well, I'd read something like, like well, really, we're talking about the right fit is one of the five principles of this book that you, you get the job that's the right fit. We already saw with Isaac, you got the well of contention, the well of strife, and the well of spaciousness. That's just finding the right fit. We just saw that with Isaac. It's the right fit. And what it really emphasized, and what we've learned in life, and all of you know here tonight, and most of you that are older certainly know it, is that when you're doing what you love to do, you love to do what you're doing. When you're doing what you love to do, you love what you're doing. And what might seem hard work, difficult work, arduous work, when you love what you're doing, it's a joy. It's like you're born to do that. It's like you're alive to do what you do. And someone else will say, like, how can you do that? When the contractors and, and Gordon were working at our house for a couple months there doing some stuff, I watch these guys come in, bang, 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 hammers, this, that, all these things. I've never been a tool guy. I failed high school shop class. It's just not in my wheelhouse. It's never been anything, you know, people are like, do you want to, do you want to learn how to craft and make surfboards? No, I break them. I'm hard on surfboards. I don't make surfboards. I break them. Like the whole idea of building and tinkering. I mean, Jennifer's always had the hammer and the drill in our marriage. Like we got to fix them. Like Jennifer, what do we do? The remote's not working. Jennifer, what do we do? The handle came off the drawer. Like it's just like, it's been that way. It's just, it's a good, it's a good compliment. I married a handy woman. But when I watch Gordon and his crew work on our house, they love what they do. Like, he loves what he's doing. He's so into it and, and just loves it. And when you think about seeking the Lord, because this brings us back to Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. It's an important verse. It's not that we have a plan and we say, God bless this plan, and we make him fall into our template. It's we seek him and his template, and then we jump into that plan. Because as we delight ourselves in the Lord and gravitate and move toward his will and his calling on our life, the steps of a righteous woman, the steps of a righteous man are orchestrated by the Lord. A man or a woman can plan their ways, but the Lord directs their steps, especially those who walk in my faith. Instead of us saying, oh God, this is my plan, this is my thing, fit in my template, and you become subservient to me, we are delighting ourselves in the Lord and who he is and what he's doing in our life, and we move toward that template of what he has for our life. And therein is peace, therein is joy, therein is the abundant life, therein is that sweet spot of just flourishing in what the Lord has for us. And also in that is not just the, the supernatural, but where more often than not, he takes those practical 
things that we have, those talents that we have that make us who we are, how we think, how we organize, or how we don't think and are disorganized, whatever it might be, our strengths, whatever they are, because he gives everyone a gift, we're told, a spiritual gift in Romans. Everyone gets a spiritual gift who comes to the Lord. We're told that in Romans. But we also know from the parable of the minus and talents that he gives some this, some that, and some more of that. And we're accountable for what we get. But in the end, as we delight ourselves in the Lord, we're going to have joy in doing what he's called us to do. When I first gave my life to the Lord in 1987, I went to a church. And a guy said to me, God's going to send you to Africa and you'll never surf again. And I was like, get behind me, Satan. You know, like that kind of thing. Like, there is no way. God never tells a surfer he's never going to surf again. Like, what is that? And I was really upset about it. But the irony is we ended up in Vermont where there's no ocean. And we went there without any expectation of how long we'd be there or not be there. We went there to be permanently in New England and plant churches. That was the vision at least that I had and we had collectively together. That's not what God had. And it was funny because there really was joy in that time of our life. And there were lessons to be learned. And you find that contentment that You know, surfers say it's as flat as a lake. I lived on a lake, Lake Champlain. I can tell you how flat a lake is. A boat comes by, it's an imaginary wave, and G.I. Joe can surf it, but not you. Like, that's, and it's like, it doesn't even matter because the kingdom's bigger than an ocean, it's bigger than a sport, it's bigger than anything. So what God does is he calls us to himself to delight ourselves in him, and he gets us fully yielded to him like Moses for 40 years in the wilderness, the first 40 years, not the second 40 years with the Jews, but the first 40 years, just him and the Lord, to lay down the staff, pick it back up, and then it's useful to the Lord. What I'm saying here is when Jacob was in love, time went by quickly. And when it seemed like seven years is a long time to wait, it was as days to him because what he was doing, he loved to do. He loved his life. He had joy in his life. He had expectation in his life. He had optimism in his life. He had hope and promises. In fact, his hope and promises were built on his father-in-law, which proved to be faulty. But he, he had hope and he had joy. And he had expectation for a better tomorrow than the day he had. Now, if Jacob had that for his bride, how much more should we have it for Christ, our king? What I'm saying is when I think of Jacob having this this where years feel like days the key here is that we are moving forward with the lord and in the spirit we're being directed and we're sensitive to move toward and gravitate toward that calling he has and therein is the joy where years seem like days because it's the lord that we delight ourselves in it's the lord that gives us abundant life it's the lord that causes rejoicing It's the Lord who speaks that our joy would be full. It's not the circumstances or our gifts being used for the temporal but having no spiritual value. Years feel like days when we're moving toward that which we love. And if we love the Lord, it's a wonderful journey and it's the passion of our life to serve the Lord and to do what he's called us to do Whatever he's called us to do and wherever he's calling us to do it. It's not about corporate planning of careers and building equity with skill sets to make more money and leave it behind for other people and finding the right fit so you find fulfillment in your temporary life. It's about being yielded to the Lord and delighting ourselves in the Lord. And as we 
come into that template that he has for our life, therein is the joy where years feel like days because it's the joy of the Lord. And Jesus said, come of me, all you are heavy laden. Take my yoke upon you, for it's light, it's pleasant. Or as John Corson would say with the Old Testament, the priest wore linen, not wool. Wool was for working. Linen was for just flowing in the things of the Lord. I love it. But another application we get, because we get two of them right here, is old father-in-law Laban pulled the old okie-dokie, didn't he, on uh, Jacob here. You talk about sowing and reaping. It is ironic, isn't it? So Jacob deceives his dad, who can't see, and he puts on the goat, you know, the goat skins, and his brother's jacket smells like his dad, and all this, and he still sounds like Jacob. He can't lower his voice like the Esau voice, and we're like, hey. He, he fakes out his dad. He fools his dad. He deceives his dad. God never rebukes him for it. We don't see that, at least in the record. He's not rebuked by the Lord after it happens. It was a blessing that was supposed to be his anyways, and nor when God appears to him at Bethel does God rebuke him for it. But, you know, just because God didn't speak about something when it happened doesn't mean he's not going to bring it to pass where you're going to learn something from it. Seven years, it seemed like days. Oh, seven years, man. I was like, nothing, baby. Oh, that's my girl right there. Uh, Actually, it's not. Good morning. (laughs) Or bad morning, depending on how you look at it. Whoa. He said, if we could just get a a little TikTok clip, if you will, a little, like, 10-second clip where the moment... Isaac realized he was deceived by Jacob. Oh, your brother, it's evil. Your brother came and took your blessing. And then if we can just now flip the TikTok clip, if you will. And it's Jacob running into Laban saying, what have you done and why have you deceived me? Oh, did somebody deceive you? What's that feel like? What's that feel like? Someone deceives you. You mean like how you deceived your father? Eight years ago? Seven years ago? You see, when we sow, we reap. And it's positive or negative. To the one who shows mercy, they will find mercy. But he who takes up the sword will die by the sword, right? It's just, these are universal principles in the character of God and the universe he set up that we function in in time, space, and matter. So if someone's really done you wrong, forgive them, let it go, give it to the Lord. No one gets away with anything. And even if they get away with things in time, no one gets away with anything in eternity. There's perfect justice in eternity. Or as Abraham said earlier, will not the judge of all the earth do right? Far be it from you that the wicked would perish, that the righteous would perish with the wicked. It's good to let things go when you feel you've been wrong because God will make it straight. Life is too short to, to vindicate or whatever, Life is too short. Just give it to the Lord, make it an offering, and let him take care of it. And then in your own life, when you have that father-in-law Laban moment, where you realize like an epiphany that you just reap what you sowed and what you did to someone else they've done to you, hey, take it like a man or a godly woman. Because that happens in all of our lives. It happens in all of our lives. It just, it's a human nature. Even the best human beings that we could admire and aspire to be like, they have shortcomings, and they've made mistakes, and they've said things by which came back around them like a boomerang to hold them accountable that the same things were said of them. 
This is why it's so important that we're gracious and we're growing. We're gracious when we're wrong because there's no time for wrath. And the wrath of man produces not the righteousness of God. So just let it go and forgive. Critical in the human experience. But we want to grow when we have that moment. We're like, I can't believe you did this to me. And who are you to deceive me? And then you go home in your tent and you think about like, hmm, well, I'll be okay. You notice when Laban goes, hey, this is the way it works around here. That's the way it is. That's that. I got nothing more to say, basically. And so you don't hear like Jake going like, no, I'm getting out of here with my wife or whatever. And I'm over this. And he just, to his credit, he submitted to another seven years. He's either deeply in love or just growing at the same time, and it's probably both. Here comes another seven years to be with Rachel, but seven years to think about what you sow, you reap. Seven years to think about that how we treat others inevitably will come back to how people treat us. And Jacob needed to learn these lessons. These are important lessons, and we need to learn them too. Now we go forward and we read chapter 29, the latter part, and 30, the first part, are connected. It's, it's how we get the 11 sons of Jacob. Benjamin's not in this storyline. He's the last of them. So I'm going to read this text through. So we're going to go from 29 into 30, and we're going to pick up all, all the sons in this story, and we'll look at a couple things before we wrap it up in, tonight. Verse 31 of chapter 29. When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he opened her womb. But Rachel was barren, so Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben, for she said, The Lord has looked on my affliction. Now therefore my husband will love me. And then she conceived again and bore a son and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am unloved, he has therefore given me this son also. She called his name Simeon, and she conceived again and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will become attached to me, because I have borne him three sons. And therefore his name was called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said now I will praise the Lord therefore she called his name Judah and then she stopped bearing quick thought as we press on is the progression so Reuben is like see a son see love me I gave you a son and the Lord sees that I need a son and then after Reuben comes Simeon which means heard the Lord heard so the Lord has seen my thing my situation the Lord has heard my situation and then attached is Levi. So attached, this will surely make my husband love me and be attached to me. But all three of those first sons, Reuben, Simeon, and Levi, are all about her and her horizontal relationship with her husband who does not re- reciprocate the same affection for her that she does for him. And then the fourth son, she says, forget the husband. I'm going to praise the Lord. Judas praise the Lord. For- forget him. I'm bound to him, and God did something supernatural. I love this guy, even though he's whatever it is. But if I'm going to make my life about him loving me back, I'm not going to have a great life. So I'm going to praise the Lord, Judah. Praise the Lord. You like the progression. These are years of learning like what really matters in a person's life. And the vertical always needs to supersede the horizontal. They, they kind of work together, right? Because some days we feel very spiritual or we're vertical in how we see life. And some days we're very horizontal in how we see life. We read on chapter 30, verse 1. Now, when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister and said to Jacob, Give me children or else I die. And Jacob's anger was aroused against Rachel. And he said, Am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? Verse 3. 
So she said, here is my maid Bilhah, go into her, and she will bear a child on my knees, that I also may have children by her. Then she gave him Bilhah, her maid, as a wife, and Jacob went into her. And Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. Then Rachel said, God has judged my case, and he's also heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore she called his name Dan, which means judgment, judge. And Rachel's maid Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, with great wrestlings, I have wrestled with my sister, and indeed I have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali. So her first couple sons' names are through a surrogate mother, her maid, and it's like, hey, God's judged me and vindicated me, and God's seen my wrestling with my sister, and I've prevailed. So hers is horizontal, right? These are horizontal names because of how she feels about her rivalry with her younger sister. Verse 9, when Leah saw that she'd stopped bearing, she took Zilpah, her maid, so now we're back to Leah, and gave her to Jacob, his wife. And Leah's maid, Zipporah, bore Jacob a son. Then Leah said, a troop comes, or literally a troop or fortune. So it could be like a troop of fortune, like a group that's worth a lot or something. It's a, it's a name that implies increase. So she called his name Gad. And Leah's maid, Zipporah, bore Jacob a second son, Then Leah said, I am happy, for the daughters will call me blessed. So she called his name Asher, which means happy. Now Reuben went in the days of wheat harvest and found mandrakes, supposedly that's an aphrodisiac to stimulate sexually, in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. These These are adult sisters with the same husband. But she said to her, it is a small matter that you've taken my husband taking him away, would you take away my son's mandrakes also? And Rachel said, therefore he will lie with you tonight with your son's mandrakes. And when Jacob came out of the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, you must come into me, for I've surely hired you with my son's mandrakes. And he lay with her that night. And God listened to Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. And Leah said, God has given me my wages because I've given my maid to my husband. So she called his name Ishakar, which means wages or What's owed to you? Then Leah conceived again and bore Jacob a sixth son. And Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will dwell with me because I've borne him six sons. So she she called his name Zebulun, which means dwelling. Afterwards, she bore a daughter and called her name Dinah. Then God remembered Rachel and God listened to her and opened her womb. And she conceived and bore a son. And she said, God has taken away my reproach. So she called his name Joseph and said, the Lord shall add to me another son. We know that other son is Benjamin, which was not the name she gave him. She died in childbirth with Benjamin. She, she first called him son of my sorrow, but after she died, Jacob changed his name to, you know, son of my right hand, so not son of sorrow. This is 11 of the 12 sons that we get from Jacob, 11 of the 12 sons through four different women, two wives, and two mistresses, if you will, surrogate mothers who provided children. And this is how we get the 11 or the 12 tribes of Israel. You look at this story or this, these events, they took years. We, just, we read this in five minutes, but it, it represents years. This is a soap opera. Or as we say in Chile, un telenovela. It just, it, this, this is the human experience. The beauty of the Bible is it doesn't hide the blemishes of the human experience, and it just shows all the more why we need a divine experience with grace stepping in to intervene. And we also see from this story that where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more because there's all this stuff going on, and it's, it's carnal, 
It's petty. It's temporal. And God's bigger than all that. Because these 12 sons, including Benjamin, who would come later, the 12 tribes of Israel. And from the 12 tribes of Israel came the nation of Israel in captivity in Egypt and came out of Egypt around 1500 B.C., 500 years or so after this, became a nation. Archaeology, history proves that they were there all those centuries. They were overrun by the Assyrians and then the Babylonians and then the Greeks and then the Seleucid Empire after Alexander Great's kingdom was subdivided. They were there when Rome came and then they're dispersed because Jesus said they'd be judged for rejecting him and they were dispersed. But the Bible in the Old Testament says they'd come back to the land and be a nation against all odds and they're there today and the flag of Star of David flies over Jerusalem and it's God fulfilling his word. Right now, today, the star of David flying over Jerusalem shows that God is bigger than all this. Because that star, that star of David, the flag flying over Jerusalem, its origin comes from these 11 sons, these four women, these two sisters in a sibling rivalry for the same man. All the names they gave their kids, it's, it's so long ago, it's 4,000 years ago. But these 11 sons are forever in human history because they're according to the promise that God made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. We've seen God affirm his promises to all three of them. Grandfather Abraham, dad Isaac, and now Jacob. They're at house of Bethel, the house of God. And from Jacob, in just 20 years, 11 boys and one girl have been born to him through these four women. Now, that's a lot of drama that who can even, it's not even for a retreat. It's just, it's just a lot of drama, and we'll leave it there. Like, I just, I can only refer to my brother because my brother had three wives and kids from all three wives. And he used to say like, hey, you know what? I just write checks. And you watch people who have children with all these different relationships, and you see like, when you have the kids, you're, you're still yoked. There's, there's a yoke there. Even if you're divorced, like, there's a connection and if you're a pastor and do weddings, like you got to navigate that stuff sometimes at weddings. Like, well, they refuse to sit next to so-and-so. They have to be at least four tables away during the reception. And they will definitely, no, they don't want to do the father-daughter dance. No, 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 that's not going to work at all. And you get all this stuff. It just goes on and on and on. It does. So life is messy, but God is good. Because look at the Lord's sovereignty in all this. Verse 31 of chapter 29, when Rachel... When Leah felt unloved because of Rachel, and you can't serve two masters, you'll love one and hate the other. So it's impossible to be in love with two men, ladies at the same time, and in love with two women at the same time, men. It's just it's not possible. Jesus said you can't serve two masters. It's impossible. There's a lot of songs written over the, the, the decades and probably centuries, some minstrels singing songs during the Reformation about you, you can't have two lovers or torn between two lovers. It's impossible. God's made it impossible. You'll love one and hate the other. But in the midst of all this, it says, when the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he opened her womb. The Lord saw that Leah was unloved, and he opened her womb. And it is to Leah's credit that even the name says the Lord sees. So she was in tune with the Lord. The Lord affirmed, like the Lord sees what this is. The Lord sees what I'm going through here in this situation with my sister in this tent, in this house, in this situation. Like this is not what I had in mind on my wedding day, and 
the Lord sees. That's what she named her son. And God says through the Holy Spirit, I see. That has to encourage us. The Lord sees. In case we're thinking like, well, maybe that's just the name she gave her son because she felt that way. Like, God knows. Like, sometimes when you have disputes, and especially in ministry, you go, well, the Lord knows. So God knows it'll play out. Like when Paul and Barnabas split up, it's like, hey, the Lord knows. So Dios te bendigas. God bless you. The Lord knows. But in this case, the Lord does know. So it's not just her making the name up or thinking that's what should be the case. It is the case. And we're told that God sees. He knows. We see in the midst of this, Rachel envied her sister, telenovela, cries out to Jacob, give me children or else I die. And of course, she died in child labor. So, And Jacob's response, like, am I in the place of God? Like, he's, It's between you and the Lord that you can't have children. And again, remember, Sarah was barren, Rebecca was barren, and Rachel was barren. The three key matriarchs. And God had a plan for all three of them through their barrenness and how he would answer their prayers and give them children in his timing and the purposes of those children. Now, before we move on, it says in verse 17 of chapter 30 that God listened to Leah. So the struggle's going on for years. And then we're told in the midst of the struggle, have you ever had a child that just goes on, not just for a year, but years? How about some things that seem unjust that go on for decades? There are injustices that don't just go on for a few years. There can be injustices that go on for decades. In fact, there can be injustices that cannot even be rectified, and you're still alive for decades. But in verse 17... Not because she's a great woman, Leah, or because she's anything profound, but she does have faith. It just says that God listened to her. Because she reverted after naming Judah his name. She goes back to wrestling, troop comes, I'm going to show my sister. It's, it's easy to get bitter as you get older, by the way. But you want to get better, not bitter. It's easy to get bitter, but you want to get better. We're, we move toward bitter as we get older, in case you haven't figured that out. We want to make sure we move toward better. Because, see, she had it right. Judah, it's all in the Lord. My my fulfillment's in the Lord. But here she is, like, it's about her sister. You know, when you let something obsess you and you get just, you can't let go. It's like, I'll show my sister. I'm wrestling with her and I prevailed and this kind of, it's like all this stuff back and forth. But it just says, verse 17, hey, God listened to Leah. And God listens to us. We just got to give those things to the Lord. God listened to Leah. So right now it looks like God's on the side of Leah and not on the side of Rachel, like, Two times we've seen God's got this thing for Leah. But then look, we go to verse 22. Then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her. What's your point? I'm telling you two people can be in dispute for decades, and God's hearing both of them. That's what I'm telling you. Two people can be in dispute for decades, and God is hearing both of them. And contrary to anything that they might be doing, God is choosing to bless both of them. 30 years ago, we took the train to Applegate to meet with John Corson under difficult circumstances for our life. We lost our son. We just wanted to go to Applegate. You know, people love John Corson. He's suffered great hardships in life. And we went up there. And John Corson, I asked him about certain ministries. I was new in the ministry. And there are certain ministries that just seem to have tension with Calvary chapels. And he said, Joey, you don't ever... 
want to cut down a tree that you can pick fruit from. And you certainly don't want to cut down that tree if that fruit is coming from the Lord. That's a good word. Those words of John Corson had such deep impact on me as a pastor for 30 years. Like, exhale and think about this. You do not want to cut down a tree that you can pick fruit from. And you don't want to cut down a tree that God is producing fruit from. Both would be, one would be unwise, another would be very, (laughs) even more unwise. I say this because in this decades-long dispute, God is hearing both of them. God is blessing both of them. And God has done good things for both of them. But in their dispute, it's almost like they're missing what God's doing. So the application is this. Don't miss what God's doing. Don't miss what God's doing because there's dispute, contention, and tension. I mean, any good book has all kinds of tension. Any good movie has tension. Like I I said last year, I was thinking, like, how would you write a book? And like, you got to create tension. Why? Because there's always tension. We can't get around abrasion and contention. The human experience has lots of it. So if you're waiting until there's no abrasion and contention to enjoy the journey and rejoice in the Lord, you will never rejoice in the Lord. And if you think God is only on your side and not on someone else's side, that's very dangerous to do. And the older you get, Pastor Chuck said this before he went to be at the Lord. He said it a lot, actually, in the 90s and the 2000s. The older he gets, the less denominational he became. The older he got, the less denominational he became. You just realize, like, hey, let's, 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 let's give room for grace. Let's, let's try and build bridges. Let's, let's find the common ground. Let's not be with contention with everybody and miss what God's doing for good in our life and how he is blessing us. Let's not measure our one child and claim another child before we even enjoyed the first child because we're at war and contention with this person. Or as our little plaque says that we got in Hawaii over a decade ago, stop and smell the plumerias. Because there's enough conflict later in the day. I want to take in the smell of plumerias and think of the North Shore and be like, oh, yeah, I remember, and just get back to it. You see what I'm saying here? I feel like they missed it. Like God was working and God was hearing. He was for both of them. It wasn't an either or. He was for both. And we need to understand that. Verse 25. And it came to pass when Rachel had born Joseph that Jacob said to Laban, send me away that I may go to my own place and to my country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I've served you and let me go for you know my service which I've done for you. And Laban said to him, please stay if I have found favor in your eyes for I have learned by experience that the Lord has blessed me for your sake. And then he said, name your wages and I'll give it to you. So Jacob said to him, you know how I've served you and how your livestock has been with me. For what you had before I came was little and it has increased in a great amount. And the Lord has blessed you since my coming. And now when shall I also provide for my own house? So he, Laban said, what shall I give you? And Jacob said, you shall not give me anything if you will do this thing for me. I will again feed and keep your flocks. Let me pass through all your flock today. Removing from there all the speckled and spotted sheep and all the brown ones among the lambs, and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and these shall be my wages. So my righteousness will answer for me in time to come when the subject of my wages comes before you. Everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and brown among the lambs will be considered stolen if it is with me. And Laban said, oh, that it were according to your word. So he's like, yes, I'm all in on that. So he, Jacob, removed that day the male goats that were speckled and spotted, all the female goats that were speckled and spotted. Every one of them had some white in it, and all the brown ones had among the lambs and gave them into the hand of his sons. Then he put three days' journey between himself and Jacob, and Jacob fed the rest of Laban's flock. Now, Jacob 
took for himself rods of green poplar of the almond and chestnut trees, peeled white strips in them, exposed the white which had been in the rods, and the rods which had been peeled. He set before the flocks in the gutter in the water, watering troughs where the flock came to drink so that they should conceive when they came to drink. So the flocks conceived before the rods, and the flocks brought forth streaked, speckled, spotted. Then Jacob separated the lambs and made the flocks face toward the streaked and all the brown in the flock of Laban. But he put his own flock by themselves and did not put them with Laban's flock. And it came to pass, whenever the stronger livestock conceived, that Jacob placed the rods before the eyes of the livestock in the gutters that they might conceive among the rods. But when the flocks were feeble, he did not put them in. So the feebler were Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. Thus the man became exceedingly prosperous and had large flocks, female and male servants, camels and donkeys. It's an interesting story or text as we finish up the passage tonight. Now this is the details of him serving and working for Laban. The first thing we see is the main thought before we wrap it up tonight is verse 27. And Laban said to him, Please stay if I found favor in your eyes, for I have learned by experience that the Lord has blessed me for your sake. Name your ways, I'll give it to you. This is a, a wonderful thing to hear for your life. Wherever you live, family, friends, relatives, a dorm in college, whoever you work with, immediate offices, your neighborhood, We want to be the legacy of our life that our presence is a blessing upon others. And it's so obvious that people say, please stay. Please stay in our neighborhood. Please stay at this job. Please consider staying on in this position. Please, please stay. Like that's, that's a really, when people want you to go, that's generally not that good. It's better that they want you to stay. Like that you're, the Lord's so strong in your life. It's like Joseph later on, who was born in this text tonight, this chapter, that he prospered wherever the Lord put him. So we, we want to be fruitful wherever the Lord puts us, and we want the mark of our life and legacy to be like, people want you to stay. So when you step into a train, like, no, stay in time because your life is a blessing. Stay here. Stay. Like, that's what we want our life to be. That's the presence of the Lord working in and through us to bring a blessing upon other people. And Jacob had that blessing. God said he'd prosper him, and he did. And it was obvious to all. Now, the other part of this passage, with this whole thing with the strip things, and it supposedly would create fertility, you can read commentaries, and it's just like, blah, 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 to me. Like, you know what? These are just people. Like, we don't really know what this is about, at least from what I've studied in the past. And it's just... Whatever it is, Jacob was trying to get the healthier flock for himself and shortchange his father-in-law, which is what he'll have problems with in the next chapter when we get to it in a few weeks. So we leave off with Jacob being super prosperous and extending his stay with this large family, lots of employees. He is just thriving to his own benefit. He's got all this drama in the house and to the benefit of his father-in-law. And we'll see how this plays out because he's got more business with his father-in-law Laban, Uncle Laban. He's got plenty of business with his brother Esau and it's all around the corner. But it'll have to wait to 2020. 